Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play team. This actual play uses the 5th edition Vampire the Masquerade tabletop role-playing rules by World of Darkness. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. Listeners should know that this podcast is intended for a mature audience and will include strong language and mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and so forth, that may bear resemblance to entities living, dead, or undead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Rena Henzi, and for tonight's game, I will be your storyteller. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Old Ways Podcast's Vampire the Masquerade Chronicles Shards of San Francisco. I am your storyteller, Storyteller Rena, and tonight we are getting into a very hot situation. But before we do that, I'd like to thank all of our listeners and especially all of our Patreon backers for all of your wonderful support. If you would like to join them in helping support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash the Old Ways Podcast, where you will find many, many interesting other Delights await. Speaking of delights, let's get into some introductions. To my right. Hi, this is Mike, and I play Marcus Vons of Clan Bruja. And Marcus is right. Hi, this is John. I'm playing Sylvester La Violette of uh, Clan Gangrel. And we are missing our beloved shaman this evening. So at the end of the table. Hi, this is Ali, and I play Katerina Bogdanovich of Clan Toreador, and I have a conversation to have. You do. I'm sure that will go very, very well. Speaking of conversations to be had, uh, next to Allie. Hello, hello. My name is Bridget Jeffries, and I am playing Monica West of Clan Salubri. Indeed you are. And last but never least. This is Tiffany, and I play Alex Giovanni of Clan Hakata, and I have a Salubri to put in my pocket and run away with. (laughs) You just seem to be collecting little lost kindred all over San Francisco. That's just Alex's thing. It's a hobby, really. All right. So when we last left our Coterie members scattered across San Francisco, Marcus, you had just gotten a rather worrying text message from your union office manager alerting you that the building is on fire. Yep. Shit's on fire, yo. What are you doing about this? If anything. Well, I probably would do the mundane stuff first, which is make sure that the authorities are immediately involved. Obviously, uh, make sure that no one attempts to enter the building. Mm, And then... So are you going down to the office itself or are you just making calls from your haven? I'll probably go to the office myself because it would be strange not to. Just a little bit. Well, you get down to the office. Uh, Gloria's been texting you updates for the past few minutes. She tells you she's called 911. She's getting everyone out of the building. There's not that many people there at this time of night, just her, the night watchman, and one of the other office staff. But you get down to the building, and it is, at this point, what can only be described as a conflagration. It is full of flame. 
And there's other people around curiously watching, not getting too close, but people have come even at this late hour, or rather early hour of the morning, have come out of their homes. Uh, there are a couple joggers who've stopped to look. And something you notice, Marcus, as you, you get up closer to the building is that there's a couple fire engines just sitting there in front of the building. Not doing anything? Not doing anything. Okay. I'll approach them. You go up to the, the fire engines. There's two of them from the local fire district. And there's two people in each as normal. One wearing a paramedic's uniform. The other three wearing fireman's gear. And they're just sitting in their trucks, staring at the fire. I knock on the door. Door opens. A young man, maybe in his early 30s, slowly turns his head, but he's still keeping an eye on the fire. Mm -hmm. And he's got this kind of blank, glazed look in his eyes. Hmm. I turn back and call to Gloria and say, call this firehouse and this firehouse immediately. Directly, don't go through 911. She comes running up, starts pulling out her cell phone. She smells a bit of smoke and she's coughing a little bit. Doesn't seem to be hurt, but her eyes are a bit wild and she, she looks very, very stressed out. She's uh, got it. Uh, what? Why aren't they doing anything? I don't know. Hello? She's yeah. typing something into her phone, but she's also yelling. I take my hand and I cover this, this the driver's eyes. And his body sags back into the truck like he passes out. I'll take them off. And he sits back up and his eyes stare at the fire again. Hmm. I turn back to Gloria. Let's get across the street. Uh, um, I, I, I told uh, Polly to wait over there. She wanted to go home, but I, I said the, the police might need to talk to her or something since she was there. But... Uh, I got out everything I could, but it, it just happened so fast. And she's just talking while she's pulling up phone numbers for you. It's okay. Yeah, just uh, I point across the street, not where Polly's standing. And I point across to the other curb and say, just wait over there. There's The smoke seems a little bit less over there. She coughs. I'll, I'll call the, the fire stations. Uh, and she looks up at you as she's starting to pull the phone up to her ear. It, it just started... There were no alarms. The, the sprinkler system didn't come on. Nothing. It just, it was like something in the middle of the office just exploded. Hmm. And she hurries away and you can hear her talking to someone, you assume, at the fire station as she runs. Yeah, I'll head over and just uh, see what I can get out of the person who was here when it happened. So Polly, who's one of the younger office workers, she started as an intern two years ago and, is, and only recently became an actual permanent part of the staff is there and the night watchman Sammy is also there and they're just shaking their heads they can't quite look away from the fire and Polly's staring wide-eyed I, I don't I don't know what happened Marcus I snap my fingers in front of them both uh, I'll freeze presence for awe and force them to look at me wake up they just shake their heads and both turn to look at you and Polly just stares up at you uh, I, I was I, I was cleaning up the, the coffee machine before going home mm -hmm. and and Gloria was doing paperwork 
She said I didn't have to help with that tonight. I could just finish the coffee machine and go home. And then all of a sudden I could hear a scream. She screamed and said fire and, and there was smoke and it was everywhere. I I don't how was it everywhere all at the same time? It was Slow down. Do you remember hearing a boom? Boom? Was there an explosion? No. No, no. No, no, no explosion there. I, I would have heard that. And Sammy nods and s- says, uh, no, man, there there wasn't really anything, any noise or anything. No one came in the building. Do, do you think someone, someone planted something? I don't know yet. We'll have to wait for it to be put out and then for an inspection to be done. Okay. I'm just glad that you weren't hurt. Gloria got me, got me out. She she just ran in and grabbed me and pushed me out the door. I, I couldn't move. I was so freaked out. All I could remember was stop, drop, and roll, but that wasn't the right thing to do because I wasn't on fire, just everything else was. And Sorry, sorry. Okay. She starts taking deep breaths. You can't stop, drop a building. No. It's just It would be a lot water. easier if you could. <laughs> They're just papers. That's why we have insurance. Gloria says behind you, maybe now we'll switch to digital. Maybe. The firehouse said they're sending someone. They, they thought someone already got here. And she looks over at the fire trucks. I, I told them there was a problem. So they're sending sending someone. You can hear actually engines in the distance. Mm. You can Panic. hear the sirens. Panic can do all sorts of things to people. It's a pretty bad fire. Mm-hmm. And you can hear crashing as things start collapsing inside the building itself. I'm not going to try to explain too much, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there is danger in being the person with every answer. Yeah. So I'll wait until the additional f- firefighters get there. And then I will look for, um, you know, a, a a chief firefighter, a lead that that's working that that truck, and try to uh, not necessarily get in their way or get them to communicate with you first because they're going to be directing their teams. But I have no doubt that they're going to do some sort of visual wake up call to the people who are in the trucks who are just fucking sitting there. So you see two more engines come in. They're a bit more fully staffed. You've got multiple firefighters coming in. They start setting up hoses and trying to douse the flames. But the fire is roaring. Mm. And it doesn't seem to want to go out right away. Despite all the water they're throwing on it. Mm -hmm. By the time they manage to get the blaze under control to make sure it doesn't spread to any other buildings... There's very little left of the building other than the foundations. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I I would assume that Marcus, having seen um, and possibly done damage to a building like this before, he's going to assume that upon arrival, the building's a total loss anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's it's probably easier just to to channel that thinking into something else. Um, Probably attempting to appear like an everyday normal person who had a building that experienced a loss. I don't think he's emotional by any means in this regard. I just think that he's more trying to figure out uh, what the fallout is from it. Uh, You see a couple of the EMTs with one of the newer fire trucks go over and start trying to wake up the four 
members of the first two trucks who came in and they seem to be a little confused. You can hear them talking to each other, but you hear someone say, it's, it's like they're catatonic, can't really get them to respond. And so someone's calling for an ambulance, which was mm. already on its way anyway. So you can hear those engines coming in and the ambulance is followed by two police cars. Yep. Come roaring up to the what's left of your building. There's more important things to do. Mm-hmm. So the cops get out of the car and one of them, a tall, fairly burly looking man, comes up to you and he says, are you the owner of this building? No, no, I just work for the union. Mm. Right, union office. Got it. He's taking notes in a little notepad. Any idea what might have caused this, sir? No idea. I got a call from my office manager, Gloria, here. Mm. She was in the building at the time. She'd probably be your best bet. Real shame. Pity when things like this happen to good people. And he gives you just a slight hint of a smirk. And he goes over to talk to Gloria. Okay. So we'll leave Marcus for the moment, dealing with the quite literal fallout from the conflagration at the union office building. Katerina, you had a phone call you were making after a very interesting conversation with one Monica West. Less conversation, more list of demands, but sure, we'll go with that. It's getting close to bedtime, but you do have a bit of time and you being you, you know that you need to do some damage control before things get a little too out of hand. So you put in a phone call to Chase Oros, and after a few seconds, a bit of a pause, there's an answer. Hello? Hello. This is Katerina Bogdanovich. Ah, Miss Bogdanovich. Apologies, I didn't recognize the number. No, not very many people have this number. For obvious reasons, I'm sure. Very good ones, yes. Uh, how may I help you, Miss Bogdanovich? Uh, does the Baron need something? No, I need to give you a heads up in that your child will be returning home very upset. There's a long pause. Okay. Care to elaborate? Well, when she turned down the request from Marcus earlier about gathering intel, and she said no, Marcus approached her with another request to be an emissary with which she asked for more time. And as I'm sure you're well aware, there is very little time in the world right now. Dear, my apologies for the breach of etiquette. I will do my best to make amends. Uh, well, I may have overstepped on my own end. Another long pause. I sat her down and basically told her that there were no delays. That she accepts this or that there would be severe consequences. 
ones that I have no intention of actually following through on. There's another bit of a pause, but you can feel a bit of a shift in the energy on the other end of the line. Miss Bogdanovich, while I appreciate your standing in this territory and the safety that you and the Baron have offered us, I find it inappropriate for such things to be said to my child without giving her an opportunity to discuss things with myself or without myself being present. She is a child, still. She is also one of only two members of our clan in this city. Yes, I am aware of this. I do not appreciate my child being threatened, especially when she was not given a chance to speak to her sire first. And I understand, and that is why I am coming to you directly to apologize. And that I wish to apologize to Monica as well. But I do not believe that, given the intensity of the conversation, that she would put to hear from me right now. There's another pause. Almost like he's thinking. I'd like you to give me a roll here. Give me persuasion plus manipulation. Four successes with two criticals, so six. Okay. So there is a pause again, and then you hear a sort of heavy sigh. Almost to you with, with those six successes, you get the feeling of this older vampire kind of reminding himself of the position he's currently in. And his tone changes a bit, and he says, I appreciate you coming to me directly. Apology accepted. I do request that uh, in the future, any requests of such a nature being made of my child also be made with me in the picture. I will speak to Monica, and I will convey your desire to mend fences. And that is all I can ask for. Have a good day, Miss Bogdanovich. Good evening. And I hang up the phone. And you hear the click on the other end of the line just before you hang up. Over in Elysium, one Alex Giovanni was having a very interesting conversation with one Sylvester and one Monica. Some parts of it were going better than other parts. But you do know, Alex, it's getting fairly close to the time for all the good and bad little vampires to go to bed. So whatever business you have will have to be concluded fairly soon. I think I got most of the information I wanted. I'm just being nosy now in their conversation and making a mental note that I'm going to buy Sylvester some Dior cologne and, uh, yeah. That's just something I can pawn or sell. Monica, you're feeling maybe a little bit less anxious after everything that happened this evening. You've gotten to sit in Elysium. You've gotten to talk to this very strange gangrel. And you've met maybe a new friend. Who knows? You never know. They're really, really beautiful in a distracting way. And she needs a distraction right now. Yeah, I... (laughs) I don't know. The anxiety is semi coming down because I can imagine that third eye is probably getting really sleepy. 
That is not an eye that can drive in the driver's seat for very long. So that's probably like two of her eyes are watching the conversation, but that third one keeps blinking or is just very narrowly, quote unquote, awake. And I think if if that fight response is coming down, another one might be rising up because one, she's going to have to explain the situation to Chase. And she's not even really sure what just happened. And two, why mm-hmm. the fuck is she at Elysium? She shouldn't be outside of the territory. It is literally dangerous for her to be outside of the territory right now. Yeah, Elysium is safe, but there are some miles between Elysium's front door and back to the barony. So she's just like, I should probably get home. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, why don't you give me an awareness plus wits roll? She got one success. (laughs) Okay, so no, everything's fine. You're just getting tired. You've had a long night. Alex is really hot. Sylvester is not. And, uh, yeah, you should probably go home now. I need to go home. I mean, and the second that word comes out of her mouth, she realizes that that's not a true statement anymore. So she backtracks. I need to, I need to go back to the house. Um, Sylvester, I, I can meet you where tomorrow and when? I'll meet you at, uh, Foss's place. Yeah, but. Yeah. That'll be fine. It's getting about that time. And he just hops down off the chair. <laughs> Are you going by yourself? I say to Monica. I just turn my back to Sylvester. She throws him a smile. What are you offering to escort me back to the house? Or a place to stay. She pauses for a moment because that could be better than going back to the house. That would be better than going back to the house. And you can see that spinning through at least her two primary eyes. Is that third one is pretty much shut down. Maybe a different night. Okay, otherwise my driver can take you to Marcus in the morning. Or in the evening. She winces. Visibly winces at that. No, I'm fine. I can get home. But oh, no, I do have... And she reaches into her backpack and she's going to hand both Alex and Sylvester blank invitations to this Mackay Garden reopening. I'd love to see you if you could come. Um, Sylvester, one of your clanmates actually was a really big help in getting all of this reopened for me. Oh, which one? Uh, Olive. And he's, you can see him going through it like <laughs> indexes of all the gangrel in San Francisco. He's like, uh, good, good. That sounds like their kind of thing. You have no idea who that is, do you? Not really. No, must be new yep. to the city since I last was here. Have a wonderful night. Thank you for everything. I appreciate your help, Sylvester. Um, Alex, until next time. Okay. So... Monica, you go out to your car. Sebastian waves at you from the balcony, but he's very distracted with other things or rather other kindred as you leave. And you go out into the night. It's getting closer to dawn. You really need to get back to the house. You need to get back to Chase. You need to go to sleep. But you put your hand on the door of your car and a voice behind you says... Are you sure that's a good idea? Her first thought, nope, I should have taken Alex up on that offer. Do I recognize the voice? It sounds like a child's voice, but you don't recognize it. Her brow furrows a bit and she's going to turn around and see if she can get eyes on this voice. You turn around and there is a small child, looks to be about eight years old, with very blonde hair in ringlets She's wearing a dress with an apron over it, kind of 
old-fashioned, very early 1800s, it looks to you. And she's holding a doll with a broken face. Nope. It's creepy. Don't like that. And she's just looking at you with these big blue eyes. Hi. Hi. What's not a good idea? Going back there. She tilts her head and looks up at you. Are you okay? No. Monica looks genuinely concerned at this point. They killed my mom. Sorry. No, you're not. She's going to kneel down and look this child eye to eye. No, they killed my parents too, so I am sorry. But my mom didn't like you. Who was your mom? Phoebe Van Ness. Oh, she hugs her. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's just, everything is overwritten at that point. It's going to be the biggest hug she can possibly get on this child if she can. And this, guys, is when Monica dies. You give her a hug and you feel very sharp teeth in your neck. Yep. Those uh, emotionally based decisions, they always come back to bite you, don't they? Uh, She is going to attempt to wrap her hand around and grab this child by her throat to pull her off. That's a really bad move, kid. That's a really bad move. She said you would be so tasty. God, don't swallow, don't swallow, don't swallow. She's gonna, she's honestly trying to get this kid off of her. Oh, so good. Did you kill my mommy? And you just feel a little tongue licking at the bite in your neck. And she's looking up at you and her pupils are dilating slightly, like your ghoul's eyes do when they get a hit of your vitae. Oh God, this is bad. This is really, really bad. Can she stand up and get away from this kid? You can try. All right. She is going to try. All right. Going to see. Roll for something here. So the child just steps back. She's licking her lips and you can see your blood trickling down her mouth, but she's definitely ingested some of it. And she says, Mom was right. Don't worry. I'm not going to use you in a blood ritual or anything. That was mom's thing. Yeah, your mom had a lot of things. And I hate to say this to you in a moment of grief, but I'm actually really glad that she's dead. The monarch's going to sidestep her and walk right back into Elysium. So Alex and Sylvester, you just see Monica come getting come back into Elysium, wide-eyed. She walks in backwards, and you can see blood trickling down the side of her neck. Uh, I'm going to make a beeline for her. <laughs> Same. So the two of you are going to need to make a roll for me here oh. as you get oh, close God. to her. Shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Damn it! <laughs> You're going to need to make a willpower roll for me, both oh, of you. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it needs to be a good one. Blood is in the water or the air. I have two. Yeah, you have two successes, Alex. John, uh, you only got one success, but the Hand of Fate is going to make that (gasps) an actual success for you. This is going to make our relationship a lot less awkward for our drive to Oakland tomorrow. (laughs) Both of you can smell this kind of rich, intoxicating scent. And Monica, you know this happens when you're actively bleeding. It doesn't happen from Vitae that's been bagged or bottled or, or any of those things. It's when you're actively bleeding. This, this smell 
and uh, good for you, you're only in the doorway of Elysium. Though I am going to make a roll for one other person who's here. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're fine. But there's this rich, intoxicating sort of scent. It's the most powerful smell of kindred blood either of you have ever experienced. It makes you hungry, but you both go, nope, that's a bad idea. And being in Elysium actually makes it easier because you know that you have to be careful in Elysium, even you, Celester. So you overcome the urge to just kind of take a bit of that blood and you can talk to Monica normally. I think if they're approaching, even if it's from a position of concern, she's got evil Nazi baby Tremere to her six. She's inside the threshold. She can smell herself like dancing on the air. I think if they both approach, she like the third eye opens up completely. It glares at them. I think she's going to throw her right hand at both of them as if she's getting ready to cast. And then she's going to hiss at them. Yes, yeah, so the just pupils have dilated from the smell, but he's just like, that's uh, what happened to what happened to you? She's going to do what she can to very hurriedly get that wound fully closed. And as she's doing that, even if that's just licking her hand, wiping herself, because her saliva will uh, aid in healing and licking it. Fucking Nazi child happened. That's what happened. Interesting. God damn it. Oh, the Van Ness kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's still still around. No, she's in the parking lot right now. Yeah, he's just running out there. The thought of killing Phoebe Van Ness's kid while Phoebe Van Ness is still alive in his mind is uh, too good to pass up. Be careful, she fucking bites. So about that ride. She looks at you. (laughs) Third eye scanning and she just nods. I will uh, usher her out to um, hopefully like using Sylvester as a distraction. So Sylvester, you bolt outside in this kind of easy loping run you get when you start hunting. And there's no child out here. She's disappeared. You still see a drop of blood on the ground near Monica's car. It's You can't get away from that scent. But yeah, there, there was someone out here. Definitely Tremere. You can smell it in the air, but she's not here. And behind you, Alex just kind of side wheedling Monica over to the Lincoln. Yeah, otherwise I can use my secret backdoor entrance. I'm assuming I have one. <laughs> of course, Sebastian has built this place with one for each of his friends. So yeah, when he sees that he that she's not there and like hearing how loud everyone else is walking away, he's just gonna be like, did she give you a reason she attacked? Was it just because you're salubri butter? I, th- I think I've... <sighs> I think she thinks I had something to do with her mother's death. Vanessa's dead? That's what she said. And like, you look at him and he's just clearly crestfallen. Alex is totally blank faced, like stone face. And Monica is concerned that Savelstri is crestfallen. (laughs) He's like, I plan to kill her myself. Oh, well, did she say who did it? Well, no, she, she thought you did. You couldn't. No, she didn't know. All right. Well, we talk about this in the car tomorrow. I got to get back to where I sleep. So, uh, yeah. And he, now that he's outside, he lights up and he's just like, well, safe home. And, uh, you know, all that, bud. So with that, this evening, 
for all of you draws to a close. Alex, you take Monica home. Yeah, what home are we going to, though, Alex? (laughs) Well, it's up to you. Do you want to go to your place or a different place? There's a temple. There's a home in the barony. There's two outside of the barony. Monica's staring at the closed screen on her phone because she needs to call Chase. She doesn't know whether that house is safe right now because she doesn't know how long Creepy Kid has been following her. You really don't. So you call Chase and he seems a bit distracted, but he just says, I'd rather you came home. I think we're okay here. Van Ness knows where we live. In the barony, yes. I don't think we should sleep there tonight. All right. I have a friend. You can either come with me or you can go to your alternate arrangement, which we will need to talk about in tomorrow night, I suppose. There's a very heavy question mark at the end of his sentence. Yeah, no, we'll add it to the list. Um, Let's go to the friend's house. We need to talk as soon as we okay. wake up. He gives you an address. So, Alex, you can drop Monica off at this. It, it's an apartment building in the territory. So it's still in the territory, but it's a decent ride away from the place where you've been staying, Monica. And you can all go to sleep, go to ground, whatever it is you do. It's been a very, very long night for all of you. And the night passes, you recover a little bit, and it's time for rouse checks for everybody as you wake up to a new night. As I'm sure nothing happened during the day while you were asleep. I have a nine. Of course you do. I succeeded. I also succeeded. I rolled a four. So I'm the only one who's hungry today, apparently. My God. Monica and Katerina very fittingly are the two who get hungrier. Both of you mark a point of hunger. You're feeling a little little more peckish, a little more annoyed, perhaps, as you wake up in the evening. And uh, it, it's fitting, perhaps, after your very emotional confrontation the night before, for the two of you to be the ones who are a little more hungry. But you wake up into a new night, and Sylvester, Sylvie is waiting for you on a bench as you emerge from the ground. And he just walks over and he's just offers a hand for her to hop onto. She hops onto your hand and drops a piece of paper. And all it says is mallet on the move. Just not seems like fucking A. Fucking A. And he just crumbles it up <laughs> and just eats the bit of paper. Um just like excellent yes it's happening yes oh boy i'm going i'm beating feet to the like my le- my slight limp on the left foot's not gonna hold me back i am going to Voss's place yeah you you are feeling energized your false leg is not slowing you down this time you are about to go on a hunt and it feels good sylvester it's so fucking good and Marcus, at the exact same time at the barony, Jean comes in with Edgar on her arm and says, uh, bird for you, boss. And Edgar drops a piece of paper into your hand, cocks his head and looks at you 
and it has the same message on it, mallets on the move. Fantastic. I uh, take the note and uh, I flip it over and simply write just location question mark and then I tie it back on to Edgar and I give the you know some some head pats to him and send him in the air he nibbles your ear and Gene opens the doors so that he can disappear outside I will turn to Gene and say the hunt is on you see this slow wide smile spread across her face fucking finally We're going to take part. You'll remain here out of safety. Uh, She looks completely crestfallen. (laughs) Unless, of course, you'd care to be involved. Oh, I wouldn't miss it. Good. I need a couple of things. I need a large five-gallon bucket. We've got several of those at the party house. I need at least five and a half gallons of quick-drying epoxy. That should be easy to get. I need every single member in this barony prepared to move. We're going to hunt. He must not leave San Francisco. And you see the shadows on the wall start to wriggle behind her. Like, you never noticed this really before you had your induction into the society, so to speak. That's what she calls it, the society. But you've noticed now that when she's in the grip of strong emotion, the sh- her shadow tends to move almost as if it's got a mind of its own. We'll be there. Just tell us where. As soon as I know, you'll know. Where's Esmeralda? Uh, she was down at one of the checkpoints. We had another cop coming through on a patrol, same one we've seen for three nights now. Big burly guy? Yeah, how'd you know that? Isn't it my job to know things? Maybe not. Yeah, true. Okay. He showed up at the fire at the sh- at the uh, union shop last night. Said it was a shame. Uh-huh. Good things kept happening to decent people. Mm-hmm. His name's Paul, and Esmeralda was down uh, waiting for him in case he came through again tonight. So do you want me to call her off that for now? She'll be very upset if she doesn't get to join the hunt, just saying. You know, it's funny, I've known Esmeralda a real long time, and and that would be my measure of it as well. Yeah, call her up here and tell her that uh, we need to keep two people down there at that checkpoint shadowing that cop. I don't want him or any of his fellow badge-wearing people to be roaming the territory while we're off hunting. You got it. Esmeralda's going to be so pleased. It's a big night. And as you say that, Sylvester comes roaring up. You have to slow down to be let into the building through all those doors, but you're, you're kind of like jogging in place like joggers do at a, at a crosswalk when they have to wait for the light to change. You're just so amped up. Uh, so Marcus, this tiny, like five foot three ball of gangrel energy just comes in through the door. So you got the news. And I think probably for the first time, this is when he would see Marcus truly um, sort of invigorated with energy. And he looks a little, a little excited. I think uh, eager is a word, an adjective I would use. So Marcus, the question is, are you calling in 
Katerina, Monica, Chase, etc. as well with mobilizing the barony. And are you alerting Alex Giovanni? Clearly, I would tell Katerina that we're going to be leaving to deal with Mallet. That sort of goes, it should go mostly un, unquestioned, uh, simply because she's part of the leadership here that helps run certain aspects of the barony. Um, so she would need to know if I was going off on something, let's just say, weak, dangerous. Um, as far as Chase goes, and as far as Monica goes, my last communication with Monica was not very pleasant. Uh, and so uh, also it seems too that the last, our last conversation, she was in sort of emotional strife. And so I wouldn't you know, want to call her up and be like, Hey, I'm going to go whoop somebody's ass. I'll be back. Like that doesn't seem like a, a pleasant conversation to have. So I'd probably think I would think that Marcus would think about that. Maybe not. Um, but chase, uh, yes, I definitely would call chase because this is a item on the logbook that Chase and I have discussed before. And I think it mm -hmm. is important to be able to uh, update those people who are very interested in seeing Malik come to an end. So yeah, I'd absolutely call him. Okay. So Monica, you're in bed, just waking up, trying to gear up for this conversation with Chase. He's been a little quiet. He was quiet when you came in just before the dawn and he hasn't seemed to completely wake up yet. And then his phone rings and he just holds up a finger as if to shush you prematurely and says, uh, Baron? Chase, there's a matter that we spoke about when we first met. The big one? I don't have a ton of time. I'll just say I'm going to resolve it this evening. Oh, would you like my assistance? Um, perhaps but in a different way. What do you need? I think it would be good to show that there's perhaps some calm still left in this space while we go and do what we need to do. You can imagine the various people here in the barony are very uh, eager to get this off our plates. Yes, I can see that. I don't know your... Um, acumen or your history or your um, quite frankly the range of your abilities to assist so I'll happily claim ignorance there's not much known about the bloodlines at least outside of your own lore we're healers mostly Monica and I which if you would like a healing up so that you can make things worse for a while and then heal up again and make things worse for a while again. We're very good at that. Oh, no. No, I don't think that'll be necessary, but I am slightly concerned about another matter in town you might be able to assist with. Um, would you be willing to meet me at Elysium later this evening? Absolutely. Wonderful. I look forward to it. If you're, if Monica can attend, that would be wonderful. Although it's not required. Um, you being slightly more of an elder, it might be um, useful to have you around in case uh, people get riled up. You can almost hear a smile at the word slightly older. I'll be there. I'll ask her if she wants to attend. Very well. Hopefully she uh, is doing well. I'm Unfortunately, our last interaction was not very positive. But... Um, I've heard. We'll be discussing it. 
We may have asked too much from her at one time, at, uh, at that time. We will discuss it. Thank you. I will see you at Elysium later. Just let me know when. Indeed you will. I hang up. I'm going to call Sebastian next. Okay. So you call Sebastian and it rings for a minute and then you hear a, darling, you never call. <laughs> I'm calling and I'm calling to advise. I assume that you're familiar with the um, message that got put out last night. Which one? Mm, the one that was left. The hot one. Mm, yes. Yes. The, um, the humorous one. Ah, yes. Quite. You hear some noise in the background and some giggling. It says, mm. shh, I'm on the phone, darlings. Shoo. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, um, I was really hoping this was a booty call, Marcus, but uh, if you want to talk business, we talk business. Just for a few minutes. It's within the purview of the prince to utilize the space that the Keeper of Elysium keeps to have uh, <laughs> meetings and gatherings, yes? Uh, yes. So is it Baron, Prince, or Prince Baron? I've been taking bets on it all night. It's to be determined. But mm -hmm. um, I would be very much appreciative if the Keeper of Elysium would advise the remainder of the Primogen Council that there is a council meeting with the prince later tonight at Elysium. Oh, the drama. You they live won't be happy. It. You love it. Me? Oh, how could he say such a thing? But yes, I'll tell them to be there. They won't be happy about it. Good. No one's going to be happy. Well, very few people will be happy. As long as I'm happy, that's all that matters, darling. I tend to agree. Ah, uh, ever since David left, it's gotten a little boring around here. So, it would be nice to have more Bruja around. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Just tell me the time, dear. Let's say 1am. Wonderful. And, uh, do I need to do anything to keep the former Prince Regent from finding out about this little get-together? Hmm, you know, I gotta admit, Sebastian, he's gonna be awful busy. Oh, marvelous. Very well, darling. Always better hearing from you than not. Indeed. We'll see each other later tonight. I wish you a good evening and um, an exciting and interesting time to live in. Oh, don't wish that, dear. Why would you curse Sebastian with such a thing? <laughs> you hear a Sharif, darling, just as you put down the phone. All right, so with some wheels in motion, then I turn back to... Is it Sylvester or Sylvestre? How do you pronounce that, John? He likes that Sylvester. Sylvester, okay. Mostly for ease of everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. All right, uh, Sylvester, uh, I got word, of course, from Miriam, but I didn't see where yet. So we just sort of be uh, prepared to move in a bunch of different directions as soon as we find out where. Yeah, yeah, he's probably uh, going to be trying to fly out. Uh, he'd be flying towards the dawn, so it won't be great, but he'll probably do a layover somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'm not too sure either. I I got the same info you did. Okay. So let's wait for now, and we will hunt an elder. It'll be great. So, Katarina, how do you take the the news of the hunt. Are you joining? Do you have other things to do this evening? 
Well, actually, it would be a conversation that I'd have with Marcus. Like, would you want me joining on the front lines, or do you want me to hold down the fort? Well, I've seen your ability to be capable. I saw that in the funhouse. There's no doubt you could run his old ass down, that's for sure. I just want to make sure we're not risking too many people. So that does not answer my question. Where would you prefer me to be? I think I'd prefer you here. Okay. We're already going to be tapping Jean to have some of her society friends join us for this jaunt. That leaves precious few of our own elders here to watch things. It would be a perfect opportunity for someone to try to come in and make problems. I was thinking something similar, but I wanted to make sure that you did not feel that I was shirking any responsibilities. No, not at all. Keep the house. That's part of the responsibility here. And uh, I think it probably would be good to draw in some of our own members here to fill out the space so that way uh, it doesn't look like actually you see him smirk. Yeah. Why don't you do that? Why don't you bring people inside in the maybe the first airlock? Set up a set up a ruse. Like the place looks like it's empty. Maybe you'll um, catch a cop or two who ends up being nosy. Leave just the back door open? Hmm. Maybe not just the back door, but no, one one opening is probably better than two. Easier to to deal with. Well, take who you need, leave your skeleton crew, and I will assign accordingly. Excellent. Oh, I spoke with Chase. Um, we're going to be at Elysium later. I should probably attend. You should. One o'clock. Understood. I will see you then. Yep. Don't get killed. I mean, I'm... I'm already dead. Come home. I walk out. So, you are not telling Alex, I gather. Actually, yeah, I'm gonna tell Alex, but I wanted to call them personally um, Mm -hmm. before we left. So, and the reason is twofold. But, yeah, I want to tell Alex. Because this is something they and I have been working on for some time. All right. So, Alex, as you wake up this evening, there is a card slipped under your door, like an actual greeting card, not someone's business card. And it just says, thank you for all the assistance. Hopefully, we'll speak again soon. M. I burn it. And as you burn it, your phone rings. I will take a moment to actually look at it for once, because usually I just pick it up. But now I'm suspicious. It says Marcus. Hello? Good evening. What's going on? Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff moving now. We're going to be um, heading out to deal with an issue. One that's uh, trying to get away. Mm. I'm going to be at Lyceum later. Round one. Okay. I have a death to a death. Uh, um, to attend. Who died? Uh, somebody that was no good. Oh, all right. Anybody I know? 
Well, you knew her. Did you like her? No. Okay, fair enough. I think I know who you might be referring to. Just not over the phone. No, I get it. Okay, well, um, you have your ways. I understand there's some things that you you have to attend to. Not a problem. People might want the information later, so I'm be... sure you're first in line. Well, I mean, I have to, uh, you know, sus sus out the uh, the circumstances. Hmm. I'd be very interested to know how that happened. As would I. Some of us are going to stop down later to Elysium. Okay. There are just some things that um, everybody needs clarity on. I figured you'd want clarity directly. Sure. What time? One o'clock. Okay. I will be there. Good. I'll see you later. So you hang up, Marcus, and just as Jean comes in with two pigeons on her wrist this time, and... She just looks very confused for a minute, says, well, Edgar's here. I don't know the other one, but they flew in at the same time, so... Oh, here and I thought you were collecting pigeons. The cats like to eat them. It wouldn't be a good thing to collect. Oh, they don't want to eat those pigeons. And he's like, come here, Sylvie. (laughs) I assume that's who the other one is. Yeah, Sylvie flutters over to your shoulder uh, and just pecks at your ear. (laughs) <laughs> he says to Mark, it's just like, this is my handler from the bu- from home. <laughs> I'll unwrap my note. Your note says private airfield and gives you directions. Yeah, I mean, there are only so many private airfields around here, so. Mm-hmm. Flight due to leave. Your note says flight leaving 945. It is currently 8 p.m. So there's time. All right. So, look can't let this fucker talk. Yeah. He opens his mouth, we're fucked. Pretty much simple as, so what do you have that we can use? I got bodies, that's about it. I've been preparing for something like this, actually. I'll walk through the large uh, pier building, which is what the, you know, the haven, current haven is attached to. And um, I'll go to a relatively large crate, right? Uh, it's a wooden crate, very relatively simple. And I'll say, uh, I bought some things, some things that are going to be useful. And they're going to look simplistic, and you'll probably laugh, but they're effective. So I open the no, crate. No, no, I have very open mind. And what you see are um, likely about 40 paintball guns. And I take up the canister, a nearby canister of these tiny paintballs. And I'll say, this paintball is filled with what is in effect uh, a ceiling paint like you'd use, like you see on television. Super, super sticky. So there's a couple things about hunting a venture. You can't let them see and you can't let them talk. The other, I go to the other portion of the crate. The other thing that I've got is this. And it's a, it looks like a spray can. This is fast expanding foam. We use it in firefighting all the time. And uh, when we're doing the firewalls and breaks through buildings, when we're running pipe or anything else that the electricians might need, we get close, we spray his mouth full of the shit. It expands out real hard to talk. Trust me. 
mm-hmm. he can't see and he can't talk, he's just another dumb bitch. <laughs> oh, but this is way better than my idea. I was going to burst my own eardrums with a pen. Well, listen, um, there's only really one rule that I've got about this whole thing is we got to hold him down. Makes sense to me. I got a bucket coming. It's pretty important. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. It's uh, basically the first phase is making sure that he can't see and he can't talk. And the second phase is a boot party where we hold him down and do the rest. Sounds good. I'm in. Gene's shadow ripples on the wall. You can't see this, Sylvester, but you notice it, Marcus. And she says, well, between the members of House Lissambra, we can take care of the other one. She'll be driving. She won't be strong enough to resist our touch, I think. Is Bruja assistant? Yes, the bodyguard, Mm. Tiana. Yes. And then the French one will be in the front as well, but that one's only human. So easy. Ideally, we just need her to go to sleep. Permanently? No, 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 no. No, the, The mortal is a valuable information asset. It should be treated as such. What about the bodyguard? She's one of yours. She's a Camarilla member. She's been serving Mallet for I don't know how many years. And as far as I'm concerned, she's got no clan status in San Francisco. So we can dispose of her? She gives you trouble, which I assume she will. Oh, I'm counting on it. Jean's eyes are already turning a very murky black. Okay. Let's go bag us a venture. As all of this is going on, and Marcus, you take your delivery of the things Jean found for you, um, across the territory, in another safe house, supposedly, Monica, Chase has hung up the phone, and he looks a little perturbed, a little enthusiastic all at the same time. It's a weird expression on his face. She's just sitting on the bed with her legs uh, crossed and her hands in her lap. She's just waiting. Well, my dear, I don't think we're going to need to worry about Mallet. I believe our good friend, the Baron, will be taking care of it. Good for Marcus. Hmm. He frowns a little bit. I will have to go to Elysium later at his request. He says you are welcome to come, but you are not required to. He frowns. Which one of them called you? Both of them. What did they say? Miss Bogdanovich called me last night, right before you called. And that was the Baron on the phone just now. He settles back against the headboard and sighs, starts stroking your hair to just give you a feeling of ease. Says, I'm sorry I wasn't there. It must have been hard for you. And she nods. And she's getting ready to cry. Marcus ambushed me. Yes. Miss Bogdanovich said as much. Yeah, and she was worse. I'm not surprised. She's a Toreador. He leans over and kisses your forehead. I'm proud of you. For standing up for yourself. 
in such a difficult circumstance. It's difficult to stand up to authority like that. And I made it very clear to Miss Bogdanovich that I did not appreciate them pressuring you in such a way, especially without me being there. And I do believe I got the words, I apologize, which is a fairly major concession from a Toreador. He smiles slightly. She doesn't look impressed. Did she tell you what she said? She did. Uh, in rather general terms. Chase, she stripped me of my agency. She pinned me into a chair. She called me a child. She told me I was out of time, that I was out of chances. And she told me that she would banish me from the territory and separate me from you. That's what she did. His brow furrows and both eyebrows go up. I did not realize it was that strong. She did say she made some strong threats that she had no intention of carrying out, but she didn't tell me what those threats were. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Yeah, so am I, Chase. So am I. I don't feel safe here. After tonight, we may not need to be restricted here. If Mallet is gone, I suppose the others will be taken care of, including, he wrinkles his nose, her. Though we will have to be still careful with the Tremere around. Uh, she blinks for a moment because just uh, trauma, 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 and so much going on. And then she fell asleep. She's actually thinking like, wait, did I, did I tell him that Phoebe was dead? Did I miss that in all of this? You did not tell him. Oh, God. So she picks up her face and she like puts both of her hands on his chest and she's leaning in on him nose to nose. She's still weeping blood. She's like, oh, my goodness. I didn't tell you she's dead. What? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I don't know who did it, but she's dead. And then she gets really quiet and she gets that look that she gets where like the third eye can't make eye contact. So it looks at something on the other side of the room, which is that telltale that there's something more to this story that you need to know, but she doesn't want to say it. So, yeah. Monica. Um. We don't keep secrets, darling. I know. It's just, it seems like this. So, I met her child last night. And. The the creepy one? Oh, my God. Yeah, you've met her with the doll? Annalise, yes. Oh, fucking Kindred. I hate him so much. Um. Yes, the Tremira rather fucked up that way. Yeah. Chase, she, Go on. she got a taste. A big one. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. I know, I know. She's just going to settle down where she's sitting in his lap. And I think we'll leave them there for the moment as he's staring in shell shock <laughs> down at your, at your head. Oh, no. And cut back across to the other side of the barony. Katarina... Jean has left one of Houseless Ombra with you. Says you might need some darkness in the event anyone tries to break in. But, uh, Marcus, Sylvester, you have Esmeralda. You have multiple shadowy silver gray cars full of La Sombra. There's a contingent of Bruja who are getting rather amped up, including the Oakland Bears, who have nice. all roared up on their motorcycles. Nice. All of them. 
So we benefit from, at least a lot of us here are going to benefit from the fact that this is home ground for us, San Francisco area anyway. So we're going to know a private airfield in the space. We're going to know the area around it at least a little bit. Um, and we're going to benefit from, hopefully, I doubt surprise so much because Mallet's going to expect that he's running from us. He will expect that word will have gotten out. But there is a truism, which is if he is leaving for a flight at a specific time, that all that stuff gets booked up, right? All the prep gets made at the airfield. I guess I would probably have, um, you know, whether it be shortwave radio. I don't think I would use VNet, even though uh, I could. I want to be careful about that without with using it without ROM being here because of the dangers of the way mm -hmm. it gets used. You haven't been able to get a hold of Rom tonight either. You sent messaged him earlier to mobilize things and he has not responded. Well, I'm just going to assume that he's party probably partying his ass off on a boat somewhere. Probably. You get news essentially that a flight is being prepared out of an airstrip, a private airstrip near the San Carlos airport, which is fairly close uh, to SFO. So heading in that direction will get you where you need to go, but it's not going to be as packed full of people on the road. There's some back roads Mallet could take to get that way, especially coming down from Billionaire's Row. And the airfield itself is not going to have many flights going in and out of it, this strip near San Carlos. So there's multiple points where you can set up a, an ambush. You could even do it at the field itself if you neutralize the humans who are there. You only have one flight going in or out at a time on this private airstrip. So mm -hmm. it, you really have a wide variety of options you can use here. Okay, yeah. So. Just knowing some of the space nearby, I would mm -hmm. have, I would communicate likely with uh, Miriam that she obviously knows the airport, um, but I know for a fact that that airport butts up against a portion of the bay. And I also know that Bear Island is right near there. And so there is water access. It's regrettable, obviously, that Rom's not here because, well, <laughs> it would have been a, a perfect opportunity. But yeah. I, I think what we would do is probably set up, um, there's a parking area nearby, just by that mm -hmm. airport, where there are a lot of tractor trailers and a lot of places where cars, motorcycles, etc., could be parked temporarily. And then I would have the gangrel likely just filter into some of the green space that's nearby there. Maybe some of the woodlands that are there that that sort of wrap around the north portion of the airport. And if he is coming to get on a plane, there are only so many physical ways he can get into the airfield. Now, he could be because of his status and his money and power. He could come right down the street and he could potentially get direct access to the tarmac. Right. And so if that's the case, portions of us will go to a place just 
I guess, southwest of the airport, there's a Fairfield uh, Marriott there. And so we could actually sit in the parking lot of that Marriott behind and jump the fence when we need to. And then, quite frankly, it's a rush across the <laughs> the airfield to get to the plane before it takes off. Mariam has come over at this point across the bridge and is here so that you don't have to send pigeons back and forth and waste time now that you have an actual time and place. And she tells you, it's like, I'm fairly certain he's going direct to Tarmac. That's why he would be taking the private plane instead of flying out of SFO like he did when he came in. He's not going to want to have to go through everything. He wants out and he wants out as fast as an old motherfucker like him can go. But I've got the aquatic gangrel heading off along the bay there. Mm -hmm. Not just the sharks. And she smiles. So, But uh, just tell us where to go, Sylvester. You've got your little cells mobilized at this point, I assume. Mm-hmm. All of them are ready to act. All of them have signal flare guns. We're going to go to Monta Vista Drive, Sylvester. Hmm. We're going to go to Monta Vista Drive. It's on the southwest portion of the airfield, a little further down from the Marriott I was talking about. There's a single gate, man-sized. Fence is no more than seven feet. You and I can jump it if we need to, or we can force the guard at the gate to give us a little bit of personal time. And and then we can open the gate and head right into the the tarmac. So this is at the southwest portion, uh, Rena. This is just a couple spaces down from the back parking lot of that, uh, that Marriott property that I talked about. And just looking at the visual height, that dumpster's no more than five feet, that gate's no more than six feet, we should easily mm-hmm. be able to get over that. Oh, yeah. You you can jump it without even having to do anything f- funky with your disciplines. Right. Mm-hmm. There is a... There's not even so much a guard post by it. If, um, but, yeah, we could easily just blow through the gate at that point and then rush the airfield and, uh, and get it on. All right. So... You give all of your militia, so to speak, their orders, where to go. Mariam sets up her Oakland gangrel. Sylvester, you give your San Francisco gangrel directions on where to go. You have all your communication lines set up, all the pigeons. There's now like a hundred pigeons just sort of sitting around ominously around the uh, uh, around the territory somewhere in san francisco people are going where are the pigeons this evening it's because they're all down in the barony right now um so you get everything set up and you set off and sylvester you get word fairly quickly as you all get into place that mallet's limo has been spotted leaving billionaire's row The only ones who were able to get close to the home he was staying in were the pigeons, because he wasn't expecting the pigeons. No one does. (laughs) And so, through the pigeon network, others in your cells learn Mallet's limo has left. Tiana is driving. The French woman, Sophie, is in the front seat. And Mallet is in the back with a few suitcases. 
There was another human who you know to be his uh, blood boy, but he stayed behind. You don't know if it's to clean up the house or to turn in keys or what, but he is not in the car, but the limo is headed towards the airfield and you are getting up to date, almost minute by minute details of, oh, he's at a stoplight at this intersection, stopped here, blew through this stop sign without paying attention and almost hit a pedestrian. It's getting darker and darker not that it bothers the gangrel very much. And it definitely doesn't bother Marcus anymore. Nope. And the Lissambra are all together, Marcus. All of them except for the one, Jamil, who stayed behind with Katarina. And all of them are in the same kind of dark black clothing with very dark, murky eyes. It's like they're already focusing on something. You just don't know what yet. And Sylvester, with your gangrel, you see the limo pull into the parking lot and you see it go through the fence as it's opened by the one security guard, only one, and drive out onto the tarmac. All right, it's fucking go time. All right, I uh, walk up to the gate the one that is assisted by a, a powered rolling system. I literally just take the, the gate and I wrench it open. Oh, thank you kindly. Marcus pulls the gate open and off to the side, you see one of the Lasombra just reach out to the human security guard who was, had turned back to his little post and just touch him on the side of the head and he goes limp and collapses. And they move like a shadow through the open fence. No noise. It's almost like they're not there. As all of you flood through this now open gate. I've made sure at this point that everybody's got their glue guns ready, that the paintballs have been loaded, and that, you know, they're all in serviceable condition for what we're about to do. So, Jean holds up a hand, and you see the car stop up ahead. There's a pause. You see Tiana, this tall Pacific Islander, get out of the car and she opens the back door, you assume for Mallet. And as she does so, a swarm of La Sombra is really the only way to put it, fall on her out of the shadows. All of these writhing, grasping hands reaching out towards her hand her face, her shoulder, they're just all over her. And you can see Marcus with your dark vision now, the the shadows writhing around her. And I'm going to make, it's gonna be a lot of dice. Tiana's body just goes limp. She drops like a rock. She didn't even see them coming. She had no chance to put up a fight. Something in her body just goes limp and she collapses. And you see four Lissombra and all their little shadows dragging her out of the way. Mm-hmm. All right. And I, the way is open. I, ro- I begin my charge in in earnest. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, Sylvester's running along beside you, but it's really weird. He doesn't make a sound as he runs. Oh. It's just 
quiet. Oh, I, I sure as fuck make sound. I don't have any special powers that do that. The powers I do have make me very fast. And Mallet, you see Mallet starting to get out of the car almost before Tiana has been pulled away. Like he's not quite aware of what's happening because it's happening so fast and so silently. It's great having Houseless Ombra uh, around for this. And he's starting to get out of the car and you see him in profile, just this sharp little Van Dyke beard and the glint in his eyes and, and this the silver handle of his cane as he starts to get out. And then you see Jean and Malarkey and one of the other Lasombra reaching out with their hands. And then these shadows coming out of their hands, they put their hands on his face. And I'm going to make a roll against his... I have Mallet's character sheet here. Yeah. So you see Mallet just look in shock and he opens his mouth as if he's about to say something and the words don't come out. And hes you can see his body tensing up. He's getting angry. He doesn't really get angry. You've never seen him get angry, but his words are failing him. He can't speak. At least for the moment, they have blocked his words as you all come up behind him. Yeah, my plan is to not stop in any way, shape, or form. I am mm-hmm. running through William Mallet. It, this is like a la, you know, college linebacker. He's... <laughs> He is the ball. He's the ball carrier. And my plan is to separate him off his feet. I'll probably, uh, I'll probably, my plan is to probably punch through the car door with his body. So you come roaring up behind him, whether it's literally or metaphorically, oh, uh, Marcus, literally. Uh, you and Sylvester. And because he is so focused on the Lasombra in front of him, who have just taken his voice, he doesn't even notice as you punch him through the door. There is glass and blood everywhere. And Sophie, the the human woman, has by, is by now getting out of the car and swearing in French. She's trying to dial something on her phone, but her hands are shaking and she doesn't seem to know what's going on. Yeah, I'm just calling out to, to, to hold him down. Just hold, hold him down. I am unloading the paintball gun into William Mallet's face. Cinematically, Mallet is trying to get words out. He's trying to say something to the Lasombra, and then he looks like he's about to do something else. And then Marcus comes up behind him. He half turns. You hit him in the chest. He goes flying through the door. And then Sylvester, the little gremlin with a paintball gun, comes running up and starts shooting him in the eyes with a paintball gun at point blank range. The human isn't important right now. She probably is the least threatening one of them. Yes, and there are now shadow tentacles wrapping around her legs as uh, as she's trying to call someone. So you don't need to worry about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess um, I'm I'm staying. I'm doing my best to stay on top of him in the sense that to, to sort of physically sit on on his chest. But uh, the game, the the plan would be. Well, the, the arms down his throat is freaky. I, I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> I don't know how to process that at the moment. Um, but I'm I'm going to aim to put my knees and thighs on his shoulders. And the plan is is to to physically beat him. Like into the pavement if I can. I My belief is that he can take it. Because it's been true. And one of their, their core abilities is the ability to soak damage. Mm-hmm. 
and it's not for me about the dice rolls. It's more about the the yeah. cinematic purpose of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make you roll for it. I'm so. just trying to buy time for the rest of the people to get <laughs> to get here. Yeah, while Marcus is pummeling, once the the gun is empty, I've got the, the foam can, and that's just going down his throat. So Marcus essentially beats William Mallet to a pulp for about three minutes, and Mallet is struggling, which doesn't really do anything against uh, a very angry Bruja, and also the shadow tentacles, and at this point... There's also a bunch of pigeons just standing around in a star- circle, staring judgmentally. Uh, and uh, just to add insult to I- injury, a couple of them fly over and shit on his suit as Marcus stops punching long enough for Sylvester to shoot him in the face with a foam cannon. And a truck comes driving up, Marcus, with your other implements Fantastic. that you requested. Fantastic. And Mariam pokes her head out and says, Delivery. Mm-hmm. Oh, my favorite fucking words right now. Get his body up here. I'm going to yank his still struggling body on top of the hood of his beautiful limo so his head hangs off the side. And then I'm going to call bucket, bucket. And Mar- Mariam tosses you the bucket. Take it. I shove his head in the bucket. And then off of the, like the back of my leather jacket that I've been wearing, I... I unstrap this really strange looking plastic package, right? It almost looks like a cold pack you might wrap around something to keep it cold. And then I uncork it. And then all of this really strange, clear fluid comes out of it. It smells a little funny and it starts emptying into the bucket. And Jean's eyes are pure coal black at this point. There's shadows playing across her face. And she leans in and whispers into his ear Prince Velasquez sends their regards and then she kicks him in the face for good measure it's steady the bucket oh that felt good we'll go take care of the other one and she slips off where the others are dragging the unconscious Tiana away okay yeah after I have a hold of him physically and I have the head in the bucket and I'm sort of (laughs) holding it up so that way the epoxy can dry. Uh, and I'm probably fanning it, like with celerity fanning it, trying to get, to get it to dry faster. But a, as, it, as it firms up, um, essentially the, the, the last thing that I'll do is um, the plan is to cut his head off. Oh, okay. <laughs> Semester reaches inside his denim jacket and just pulls out this buoy knife about six inches long blade. He's like, you want to use mine? Or you got your own? Oh, no, uh... I think, uh, you go ahead. I'll hold him down. You're so generous. (laughs) And he just smiles down at this blinded, muted mallet. He's just like, well, let's get to it. This isn't going to be pretty. And he just starts slicing into the neck. And I think that is where we will leave this episode with Sophie screaming in the background as writhing shadow tentacles wrap around her body and her phone shatters on the ground which is probably even more terrifying for her some Lissombra and gangrel have dragged tiana off into the woods for god knows what and mallet's head covered in resin preserved forever severed from his body 
Thank you all for listening to this very exciting episode. Hope you will tune in next time to hear what happens in the aftermath of this assassination. But in the meantime, thank you and good night. <laughs>